Hello, and welcome to episode 6 of the AESA Graduate Student Coalition podcast. I'm your host, Tim Monreal, and I'm a PhD candidate in Social Foundations of Education at the University of South Carolina. Today's episode features a conversation with Dr. Hilton Kelly of Davidson College, immediate past president of AESA. The conversation centers around his 2018 AESA presidential address and complimentary article in educational studies called Towards a Moratorium on Publishing in the Field of Educational Studies. Where is this train going? We talk about the gap between practitioners and teachers, our own teaching experiences, educational problems in schools, recent teacher walkouts, and how we might move forward. Plus, this conversation was so fruitful, we literally took it to the bell. Dr. Kelly is an Associate Professor of Educational Studies and Africana Studies, Chair of the Educational Studies Department, and Director of the Center for Interdisciplinary Studies at Davidson College. He received his Ph.D. in Sociology from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. His research focuses on sociology of education, critical race theory, the age of Jim Crow, the lives and careers of African-American educators, and social memory studies. He has published Race, Remembering, and Jim Crow's Teachers in 2010. His articles have appeared in Urban Education, Educational Studies, Urban Review, Journal of Negro Education, and American Sociologist. Hilton has received a 2006-2007 Consortium for Faculty Diversity Dissertation Fellowship, a 2011 AESA Critics' Choice Book Award, and a 2011-2012 Weldon Johnson Institute for Race and Difference Fellowship at Emory University. The title of your 2018 AESA presidential address was Towards a Moratorium in the Field of Educational Studies, Where is this train going? If you would, provide a very brief overview of your address, the overarching argument, and why you were compelled to talk about such things as impact, significance, and reflection on those. Yeah, well, thank you for, you know, uh, reaching out to me, um, and congratulations on this podcast. I think it's a wonderful idea. Um, I did when I first... (laughs) Um, heard about it and never thought that I would be a part of it. So here you are. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for reaching out to me, especially about this. Let me just say, I did not intend to be provocative. I know my colleagues think <laughs> some of them think that I um, wanted to be provocative in this um, 2018 presidential address, but actually, I um, thought a lot about being provocative and decided not to go that route. No, uh, I actually thought a lot about what did I want to say um, to the membership, you know, having been a part of this organization since 2001. I wanted to, to say something that I thought the organization needed to hear. What we didn't need, I thought, and finally decided, um, I, you know, we did not need another address saying all the things that, you know, Trump doesn't get at 
and and bashing Trump. What we didn't need is another kind of cheerleading session about aren't we so great and wonderful. I thought, okay, so what do I want to say? So I was, you know, part of this was, you know, reflecting upon my own um, experience. So I have to kind of tell you how I even came into the professoriate. That'd be great. I, I was actually, and this leading up to your question, I was actually um, a high school history teacher in Charlotte Mecklenburg schools. Um, and I started in 1995 and I thought that I was very prepared to become a teacher. I mean, I had a wonderful student teaching experience. I knew how to teach. I learned a lot from my corporate teacher. Um, so much so that I ended up getting a job in the school uh, where I student taught. My first year, I realized that I was woefully unprepared for the real world of classroom. Like, I knew my subject matter, um, you know, had some good relationships with students, but dealing with parents um, who really care for their children. Um, but I realized that, you know, teachers were being, I was being beaten up because one of the places, you know, I taught high school, one of the places where adolescents and parents can come together, this is a time in which they usually are at war for a lot of reasons, they could come together against the teacher. And so I spent a lot of time fighting parents and students because they could come together in their dislike, their hate for teachers, right? So this affected my work in major ways. And I thought, oh, my God, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't know. No one told me how to have parent-teacher conferences or yeah. this was even a thing. So now we're getting to working conditions, right? So I had this kind of rosy, oh, students come to, you know, to learn, they want to learn, and they're excited about learning, and I'm excited about teaching. This, this is going to be wonderful. And some of that, you know, was true, but then there were all these other aspects, the kinds of, you know, working conditions, but also um, bread and butter issues, I would call them now, you know, I've come to know. So the idea that, you know, I was making $11 an hour paying um, rent in Charlotte, North Carolina, with taxes and all of that, um, and working 80 hours a week and had a principal who I felt just wasn't supportive in any kind of way. So anyway, to make a long story short, <laughs> I ended up going to uh, get a master's in labor studies from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst in the labor center because I was trying to figure out, you know, wait a minute, there's, you know, there's this whole other aspect to teaching that I was not prepared for. And it, and and I realized I'm actually a worker, right? Yeah. Very much the way that my parent, my mother and father, they were workers. And I had never thought about it in that way. Actually, that's not even how my, my mother said become a teacher and everything is going to be wonderful. It's a middle class job. You're going to, you know. Okay, so I had to deal with the labor issues. Um, and so my drive to graduate school to study, to study education and what, you know, I now know as schools, as workplaces, um, was not, you know, disconnected. It was very much connected to what I was doing, you know, as a classroom teacher. So I get the labor studies degree, go and get a PhD in sociology. I'm still studying labor processes in schools. I'm interested in, um, you know, the school workplace. And in particular, I became interested in, you know, a kind of, you know, teacher's work especially in the age of Jim Crow. 
Um, and so you get a teacher trade job and you're going, you're thinking you're doing all these wonderful things. I'm attending conferences, I'm writing papers, I finally get tenure. And, um, you know, just so happened, you know, one piece I'm leaving out is that I ended up coming back to work basically in the Charlotte area. So I'm hanging out throughout my tenure track years with teachers and they are very much hearing me, you know, they're hearing me talk about writing papers and, and going to conferences and everything. So by the time I get tenure, I think I'm pretty good at this thing mm-hmm. and I'm relaxed and I'm having conversations with my friends more and more who sometimes just seem somewhat annoyed or you know, here I am telling them what they should do and what they, you know, how they should think about themselves as teachers and and I feel like they're telling me, I'm very upset, but they're telling me that what I do does not matter. And, you know, at the end of the day, that stuff y'all talk reading in books and writing all those papers is just not trickling down. So shut up and let's just have coffee. Yeah. Um, And I I keep pushing this and pushing this and pushing this. And so that, you know, was the thing I wanted to address. The idea that there is this disconnect between my teacher friends, right? So I am not teaching, you know, I, I was a classroom teacher show and that I came back to the area. So my friends are people I taught with. My friends are people I went to grad school with. My friends are people who, you know, um, they're teachers. They are teacher friends. And so I finally decided <laughs> that there, there's something to this thing that what I do is very much disconnected from what they do. Now, this is hard because the whole reason I went to graduate school was, in my mind, to quote, free teachers, to find out about labor unions, to find out about strikes and come back and, you know, we're going to have a, you know, do the thing that, you know, is actually happening now more and more with teacher strikes and walkouts. Yeah. So this this moratorium was my way of saying, really, it was personal. How do I get back to why I actually got into this? And how do we as an organization, anybody who feels the same way, maybe people don't feel the same way, how do we get back to, you know, um, you know, making significant and what I call like socially significant changes, right? Um, and 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 still write papers, write mm-hmm. write books, and that kind of thing. And and how do we? There's there's this gap between the practitioner, right, and scholars that needs to be closed. And just I think a moratorium is time for us to to think about that. But another piece of the, the, this is not is not just the, the field, but it's also our the work the research that we are producing because we're in education. We should be working on education problems in much the same way that sociologists, you know, think about social problems. We should be thinking about educational problems. I think we've kind of gotten away from that as well. And a lot of research is not even about schools anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And so how do we also, you know, not I'm not saying we should only be appealing to and writing to, you know, practitioners. What I am saying, we should think more about educational problems and find a way to actually change, uh, bring about educational change. Um, let me say positive educational change because we have a lot of educational change, but it's not necessarily positive. So that's how I got to this, just really trying to deal with something that I didn't want to really deal with, that I had been, you know, having conversations with teacher friends, you know, since the very beginning, becoming 
sector and really trying to get back to, okay, as I say, where is this train going? Stop for a minute and reflect and think about how I can, you know, move my work to something that is that improves the lives of children and also the adults um, in schools and school communities. Uh, wonderful. Yeah. One of the, the things that really resonated with your address to me is because I'm in this unique spot um, where I am still in the classroom, but am writing and thinking deeply about these things. And, you know, when you're talking about the stuff that we do, right, and the stuff that, that I've done in the classroom, um, you know, the teacher next door to me really does not care at all that I'm presenting at a conference. But they did start to care when I became heavily involved in the, the teacher movement, right? Like, um, we had lots of people from a very conservative area in South Carolina that, that walked out, you know, on May 1st. And there was resonance with that on-the-ground work, right? That, that there wasn't resonance in, unfortunately, and this is my struggle too, in the theoretical, like, impetus that got me to want to do that work, right? Right. And so I think those tensions, um, especially for folks that want to make impacts on schools are, are really are really important to think through. One of the things I think you have to think about is how do you keep the momentum and how do you make how do you keep a message? So, you know, one of the things I didn't tell you is that I remember being so frustrated, like we need to strike. You know, I would, you know, stand in the teacher's lounge <laughs> that we need to strike and then they were like, We can't and that stopped the conversation. I was like, Oh, okay, because we're in North Carolina, it's, it's a one of the things they did know, they you know, teachers in the nineties uh, knew that, that we were a right-to-work state, so they knew something about labor <laughs> and yeah. labor issues. They knew that. But that kind of stopped me, which is why I went to graduate school. What you have to know is with that walkout, which that's exactly why I went to graduate school, because I wanted more of that. I wanted teachers to protest, and I wanted to understand the history of teacher protests and finding out that this is not new, right? Sure. But with the walkout, what you have to make sure is that your own message and that Teachers are not walking out for this one reason and not understanding how this one reason or this one thing, let's say, increase in pay, how that is also connected to other things, right? And because, you know, this problem, this walkout is about more, and you might, you should be able to tell me, uh, you know, you know, why you all walked out, but I find that Sometimes teachers are one issue, um, and rather than understanding the complexity of that one issue and how that may shape the education of children, right? And so to the degree that teachers um, definitely, you know, will walk out for increase in pay, but will they walk out for lack of resources? Why are we still begging for Absolutely. pencils? Why are we still begging for, you know, paper, right? I think all of that has to be a part of it. I find that people are very much willing, you know, teacher friends, yeah, they get the pay piece, but then there are other pieces that I think they should be on on board with and they're not and I'm like oh wait a minute this is all connected so we got to do a better job of messaging um, and keeping the momentum. Great yeah and I'd love to hear from you too Um, just like for me you know I'm I'm talking about myself when I really should be talking about and hearing from you but you know No I want this to be a conversation (laughs) I appreciate you read it but I read the book 
have the conversation. Yeah, because I, I feel like for me, like my, my training and, and the things that I've learned in foundations is very much integral to that work that I'm doing now on the ground, so to speak, right? And I guess my point is, is exactly what you're trying to say, is how, how can we bring to bear, right, our understandings from, you know, the discipline into spaces that are going to have those impacts and have those conversations like you allude to? Because, right, as I start thinking about the next couple years and leaving the classroom and going, you know, into the academy, I think this is where your work comes in, right? Is, is where, you know, like how do we also in, in, in instill this type of passion and energy that I feel like Foundations has given me for people in schools, right? Well, one, one of the things I can tell you that must happen, and we're working on this in the American Educational Studies Association, we have to break that Foundations courses, right? So yep. one of the problems that we're facing is that, you know, we basically have teacher ed departments that are really methods departments, mm-hmm. right? Teach methods. And because we've gotten rid of a lot of these courses um, and, and what we have often in a lot of these uh, educational studies or education schools, we have teacher people who are trained in foundation, but even their work is all methods related. And so that's a problem because we have a generation of people who did not go through and are not going through um, these kinds of foundation classes. I, in 19, I didn't go through that. I did not have the kind of foundations, you know, educational studies background that mm-hmm. I'm teaching my students today. So one of the things is what are teachers learning and how are they thinking about their um their profession. And so when, when I teach sociology of education, a big chunk of that is looking at the schools of workplace, mm-hmm. looking at labor issues in schools. And now I will say my students are very much aware and ready for the kind of, you know, um, the politics, right, of the education and the micro policies of education and understanding themselves as, you know, uh, workers. But that sometimes gets them into trouble. Right. Um, And so we have to. And so I'm trying to be more responsible of how you maintain certain values and principles and understandings and keep your job. Right. Sure. Yeah. 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 Risk for you to do the kind of work that you're doing. But that doesn't mean you should not do it. What it means is can't be one person. Right. We know enough about labor law that you need a group of people. The masses as problematic as that term is you know, um, working towards the same goal. And so it really is about movement building. Um, That's one of the ways we have to do it. And so we have the American Educational Studies Association, and somehow we're going to have to open it up that we have a classroom teacher uh, division or something that's parallel or get more classroom teachers to join and come to conferences because their bodies, their minds, being there in our space will challenge some of the things that we are talking about. Right. And I saw this recently. Um, I put together a black educational studies panel and we had someone who was actually in the schools setting up a school um, that was connected to her school of education. And, you know, you had these black scholars who were saying things about black children and what she gave a she interrupted this conversation and said, wait a minute, I'm in schools and I see black children who are fighting me, right, as I am trying to educate them. What I thought was, and it got very heated, but what was interesting is there was a disconnect with black scholars who write a lot about black children and black education, but 
they are not in the classroom, they're not in schools on a daily basis. So they are, they too are very disconnected and have a romanticized, yeah. you know, version of what schooling is today. Um, and so we got to do more of that. We have to come together in the same room where AESA is not just for professors and graduate students, but classroom teachers are looking forward to going go to the meeting as well. And we're having a conversation as a part of this kind of teacher movement. Yeah, I think, I mean, that that sounds fantastic. Um, you know, I would love to see uh, other teachers be able to take something and then come back into the classroom, right, w- with the excitement and inspiration that I feel coming back from an AESA meeting. Yeah, so just kind of, you know, thinking about moving here towards the end, just, you know, I think you've, you've talked a lot about how this work becomes socially significant, Um, in building these movements and getting back into schools but just in closing just kind of practically as well especially for early um, career folks or grad students you know how might you suggest you know going about some of that work but still fulfilling the institutional demands that that we face yeah you know one of the things I brought out is when I start thinking about social significance um, I thought that AERA, the American Educational Research Association, um, you know, the way in which you go about proposing, you know, um, research, um, you know, proposing, you know, putting together panels and symposium and all of that, they really do stress the kind of social significance. Um, in, in many ways, you know, I found it problematic in the past because I remember getting um, a reviewer's comment um, or comments. And one of the things that she said was, he or she said, I don't know who, I don't know why I said she, but he or she said was, um, education, educational, um, ARA, they don't care about, you know, history or something. Whatever my project, they were basically saying that nobody cared about what I was writing about. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. And so I don't think we should go that far where we dismiss people's work. But what I am saying is, um, and I don't want to use the science folk, my science colleagues, I'm, I'm very close with biology professors and chemistry professors at Davidson College. And one of the things that is true is that they have to, must, always, already are thinking about how they are contributing to existing scholarship. And so what I find is I keep reading the same, you know, article over and over, sometimes the same book where people haven't really dealt with the scholarship in the field and trying to push it forward. So one of the things is how can we build upon existing research, right, um, and trying to get somewhere, trying to advance advance the research. What I find, so critical race theory, for example, um, is a wonderful way in which um, I think people are trying to do that now. But for a long time in the critical race studies or critical race theory and education research, I felt like people write, I kept reading the same article and over and over again, they kept telling me the tenets and then they kept doing whatever. And it's like, how are you building upon all the other studies that are doing the very same thing? And I think that is a discipline, which I think, I think um, um, the leaders have thought a lot about in the critical race studies in education. 
And I've attended that meeting where they were like, we got to stop this. No more, you know, listen to tenants and no more. How do we move forward? I think we have to do that um, in all of our um, research. Social significance is something that I think we should take up in um, next year at the American, well, yeah, next Actually, in November at American, the American Educational Studies Association conference, uh, because in Baltimore, because we're having that unconference and part that just before the actual conference, and part of that unconference on that Wednesday, I think we should think about what that means to do socially significant work. I'm using AERA's um, kind of definition. Uh, or definitions, right? A significant research problem. Or what does that mean? Advancing research or breaking new ground, uh, new advancements in ongoing research. What that means is that we are, you know, building upon scholarship instead of reproducing the same thing over and over. We're saying, okay, this person found this. Now let's move this forward. More importantly, what we are thinking and writing about should be. Um, connected to schools and school communities today. And that that becomes kind of controversial because people say, oh, everything I write has to be about schools. No, but I do think if you're in the business of education, we should be working on education problems. And whether it is in school or outside of school, it should have implications. And somehow that research that we're doing should then, there should be a feedback loop to school communities, to boards of education, to principals. Now, I haven't figured it all out, but I can tell you that we have to start doing socially significant work if we're talking about improving schools and school communities. I mean, you can disagree with that, but I just think that is important. Great. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'll plug myself here for a second, but I think it'd be great during the unconference to get more people talking about their work um, on these types of avenues, podcasts, blog posts, etc. that that may, right, that, that yeah. may um, have better chance of, of getting into those channels, right? So, yeah. you know, I, I will... I love that idea because I think, you know, I'm a person who, and I shouldn't say this, but I'm a person who, a lot of the fiction, I, because uh, uh, I when I sit down to read, I have to read books in my field and books, you know, and so I, a lot of fiction, I, um, you know, introduce or quote, read through audiobooks. So what if teachers had podcasted in the car on the way to do whatever they're doing, that they could listen to some of the research ideas and that that might be impactful, that might change, you know, what they do that day, right, as they're preparing for first period. I think podcasts, I, I had not thought about that until you said it, that could be a really good intervention for people who don't have time. I and mean, I remember being a teacher. I mean, just for us to, to schedule this, you know, was an ordeal. <laughs> but to have a podcast where we are really kind of talking about our research and these ideas is a way of linking what we do with what they do. Um, yeah, and so right now, this is exactly what the moratorium is about, to sit down, to pause, to think about it, and to come up with an idea, a brilliant idea like the one you just said. Podcast might be a way for us to communicate, you know, these ideas we're sharing in educational studies. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even uh, layering on top of that, you know, having teachers on these 
calls with folks in the academy, right? So, like, you know, teachers that are willing to say, wow, that's a great idea. Or, you know, as you said earlier, yo, uh, I could not do that in my classroom, <laughs> you know, like, which is something I do think that sometimes we do have to keep in mind. So um, anyways, this, this conversation has been fantastic. And, you know, hopefully we can do this again, maybe at um, ASA in Baltimore. Uh, for those of you that have not read it yet, uh, Dr. Kelly's uh, address is in the January and February issue of Educational Studies. Uh, his social significance is on page seven. Um, and then just in closing, if there's any kind of final thoughts or anything at all that you'd like to share, that's my school bell. So I have a few more minutes, but uh, you have the floor, Dr. Kelly. No, I will just close and say thank you for um, talking, you know, with me about, you know, these ideas. I think this is a beginning. Um, and I'm going to let you go because I know what it's like when students enter the classroom. <laughs> so you need to be prepared. And that wraps up episode six featuring Dr. Hilton Kelly from Davidson College. Thank you so much for an insightful conversation and your support of the graduate students here at AESA. As always, I hope you found the episode worthwhile and informative. We have some exciting episodes coming up and would love to talk through your ideas and thoughts. If you ever are interested in being on the podcast, just reach out to me, Tim. Uh, my email is T-M-O-N-R-E-A-L at email.sc.edu. Everybody have a good one.